Springfield's Morning News. I'm Greg Bishop on 92.7 WMAY, 7.24 now. And joining us in studio is State's Attorney Dan Wright for Sangamon County. Dan, thanks for taking time. How are you? Good morning, Greg. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I wanted to talk about um, the Safety Act, its impacts on uh, prosecutors and crime in, in Sangamon County. We heard from um, a variety of uh, uh, state's attorneys from across the state during a, uh, a background briefing earlier this week, and uh, they, they were raising the alarm. One called it an apocalypse on the criminal justice system. Um, others were saying that the burden of proof to keep people locked up pending trial has been increased and will increase the amount of uh, resources necessary to try to uh, convince a judge to keep somebody behind bars. So what's your assessment of the Safety Act uh, and how it's going to impact Sangamon County in particular? Uh, thanks, Greg. Again, thanks for having me on. I think it's it's really important that the public understand what's what's coming uh, in in January, being the the, the abolition of, of cash bail in the state of Illinois. Uh, Illinois is the first state to completely abolish the cash bail system, um, and uh, I feel that my my one of my primary roles as the state's attorney is to inform the public about about things that are going to impact our community in this kind of a, a significant way, uh, but also to be as proactive as possible to prepare for that, to put my office in the best position uh, to meet the requirements of, of any new law that comes out of the legislature, um, and that can have a significant community impact. It can also have a significant financial impact to the county. I think both of those things uh, will 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 come to pass in January when the when the uh, cash bail system uh, is no longer in, in the state of Illinois. We've um, taken many steps uh, to communicate with the county board about uh, impacts that we anticipate that the Safety Act will have on uh, the operations of the state's attorney's office. It'll also obviously affect the operations of every law enforcement agency in Sangamon County. So when we talk about um, the Safety Act, uh, this is a measure that passed in the early morning hours, January of 2021 in the previous General Assembly. Um, they did have uh, some follow-up uh, legislation with clarifying language and whatnot that, uh, that, that passed, and then they had another follow-up that uh, only passed the House but didn't pass the Senate. It, we can get really into the weeds of all the, the legalities here and the legalese and the, and the legal speak, uh, but uh, boil it down to those who are waking up every morning, going to work, paying their taxes, wanting to keep their family safe. Um, as a prosecutor, what kinds of crimes do you think uh, are going to be impacted by, by this law that's going to go into effect uh, in January concerning cash bail? Well, Greg, I think you, you summarized it well in terms of the uh, the procedural history of, of the bill. It, it has been a bit of a moving target, and that's um, not the first time in the state of Illinois that you know there's been a bill passed and then trailer bills follow that 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 change it. And so uh, we've done our very best to stay on top of, of the changes, um, and it may change again before uh, January 1st. So um, we are here today on what April 29th. And so, uh, just for the record, whatever happens after this, it could completely change it right. uh, between now and, and January 1st. Because they could come back uh, for the November, uh, after the November election for Volvito session. Who knows what happens in the election, if indeed that may change some sentiments about this. Right. Uh, and uh, you could see some legislation come up uh, addressing various concerns. But um, to what you have on record now, that mm -hmm. is the law that's going to go into effect uh, January 1st when it comes to the cash bail, what crimes uh, are going to be eligible for somebody not having to stay behind bars pending trial? Good, good question. It's a great place to start. Uh, so... <clears throat> Important to contrast the uh, the Safety Act's pretrial. It's, it's, it's no longer called bail or bond. That'll be um, um, eliminated and replaced with uh, terminology that includes 
pretrial detention or pretrial release. Uh, and that's really just legal semantics, but the, there will be no, no, no longer any, any such thing as, as bail or bond. Um, and in order to uh, detain someone pretrial um, in the federal system, um, it's not based upon uh, a set of offenses that are eligible or ineligible. Uh, the judges have wide discretion to assess general risk to the community, willful risk of uh, risk of willful flight, uh, criminal history, etc. Uh, that will not be the case in the state of Illinois. There, the legislature has established uh, a, a strict set of eligible offenses and things outside of those, uh, for example, property crimes, any drug crime, even the most serious drug offenses are not technically within the uh, list of eligible offenses and we can get more into detail with that later. But let's first talk about uh, the, the list of eligible offenses that the legislature has, uh, has expressly enumerated in the statute. So first of all, if it is a, uh, a forcible felony, now that doesn't mean someone is for sure detained, it just means that the court has the ability to then go to the next step and it's an eligible offense and then the court has the ability to consider other factors. Uh, so things like, um, and, I'm, and I'm reading from um, uh, a, a slide from a presentation that was given by the Administrative Office of the Illinois Courts and the Judicial College that's been active in planning for the implementation of this law. So, uh, so uh, needless to say, it's a fairly reliable list. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, so forcible felonies under Illinois law are, are eligible, and those uh, just by a non-exclusive list would, of course, include first-degree murder, second-degree murder, predatory criminal sexual assault of a child, aggravated criminal sexual assault, uh, robbery, burglary, residential burglary, arson, kidnapping, um, aggravated battery resulting in a great bodily harm or permanent disability, um, and uh, other felonies that involve the use or threat of physical force or violence against any individual. These so, are alleged crimes that are eligible to not have to pay cash bail in order to get out. Th these are crimes that will be eligible for pretrial detention. Okay, so, so a court can consider. So a court could say, okay, they could they they have to stay behind bars pending trial. Correct. Okay, just just make sure I'm clear on that. Yes, okay. very very important clarification. Crimes outside of the list that I just mentioned. Gotcha. Okay, uh, would not even be eligible for a court to engage in the analysis of whether someone should be detained. So, for example, property crimes. Um, you know, if someone is charged with manufacturing delivery of, of heroin, a large amount of heroin, or possession of a large amount of fentanyl, which is the the department, the, um, the DEA, the federal DEA uh, Drug Enforcement uh, Agency has indicated that um, a kilogram of fentanyl can kill up to 500,000 people. Um, that is not an offense that will be eligible for pretrial detention under the state system, unless. Um, so that offense is not within the eligible offenses, but the legislature has established a separate category um, of, of circumstances that the court can consider pretrial detention outside of whether the offense is eligible um, based upon uh, what they've called a risk of, of willful, a high likelihood of willful flight. Um, and that sounds easy to establish, you know, perhaps based on someone's past failures to appear in court. Right. Currently, uh, when we ask for pretrial detention, uh, in addition to general risk of harm to the community based on their criminal history and the nature of the offense, uh, we also argue to the court sometimes that if someone has failed to appear repeatedly in the past, that that's a good indicator that they may not appear in court again. Um, that is no longer going to be allowed to be to be argued as evidence of, of a risk of willful flight past history of failure to appear. What would? Um, would you have to show like they, they bought plane tickets and actually like prove that out? Well, we, you know, it'll be a very fact specific inquiry for, for the court. Um, and it, you know, it'd, it'd be, 
it's no good to engage in you know hypotheticals sure. at this point but I can tell you that it will be a very very narrow set of circumstances sure. uh, that that um, really I think will constrain the court from being able to consider a lot of the things that I think the general public would typically imagine uh, maybe a good indicator that someone is, is not likely to remain in the jurisdiction or show up in, in court again right. and so it's important for the uh, for the public to understand that it's not just that if that any drug crime is going to ensure that the person can't be detained if it is a class three or above so we have you know class M is murder we have class X's class ones class twos class threes class fours for felonies four being the, the lowest level of a felony so any crime that is a class three or above regardless of whether it's in the list of eligible offenses um, a court could look at that uh, set of circumstances and say it's a class three or above let's say it's a drug crime um, and this person poses that, that risk of willful flight, uh, they can be considered for detention. All right, back with Sangamon County State's Attorney Dan Wright here on WMAY, Springfield's Morning News. I'm Greg Bishop, um, and we've been talking about the Safety Act and the implementation of that here in Illinois come January 1st. Now, things could change between now and January 1st, uh, but as it is right now, uh, we've got uh, state's attorneys across the state getting things lined up, ready to, to comply with the law. Uh, but uh, it's important that the public knows uh, just exactly how this is going to be impacting them. Uh, and joining us again is uh, Dan Wright, Sangamon County State's Attorney. Uh, Dan, we'll talk about the costs of this and uh, what it means for staffing and trying to uh, comply with this and, and maybe uh, you know filing motions to hold people uh, pending trial and the uh, the burden of proof there. But again, just go over the the, um, the the crimes, the alleged crimes that are not going to be eligible for detention pre-trial. So these are the people who could be let out under the cashless bail system. What kinds of crimes would those be? Well, it's uh, you know we we would need we would need more time to get super exhaustive about what those would be because it would be basically everything in the criminal code that is not enumerated as an eligible offense or. Um, uh, not meeting the standard of, of risk of willful flight. But, for example, um, let's assume for the purpose of, of, of this uh, explanation that this is not something, not a set of circumstances that would meet the, the standard of a risk of willful flight uh, because we can't use the prior failures to appear. So let's say, for example, um, a theft of hundreds of thousands of dollars or, or more, not eligible for pretrial detention. Um, uh, Manufactured delivery of name your illicit illegal substance, not eligible for pretrial detention. Um, so property crimes, uh, theft, you know, um, any crime that essentially is um, is not a is not a violent crime. Um, generally, most of those are probably going to be outside the scope of the eligible offenses. But when it comes to the violent crimes, uh, those are, um, so like uh, murder, uh, if somebody's arrested for murder, uh, say first degree murder, they would, they would be able to be held pending trial. Correct. They would be able to be held. And so that's the, the that first hurdle is just being within the scope of, of eligible offenses. Um, and, and that would of course include, uh, you know, first degree murder, second degree murder, um, a, a large, um, Grouping of, of sex crimes, uh, robbery, residential burglary. So uh, they arson, would be eligible to eligible, be held, but, but not, but not automatically guaranteed. held. Exactly. What's the threshold to hold those individuals for that for those list of crimes? Well, I think it's helpful to to articulate what the current standard is, and then compare sure. that to what the standard will be in January. The current standard is uh, we have to establish a probable cause uh, that a felony occurred uh, to allow 
for, for a court to determine that, that person should be detained. Um, so initially someone gets booked into the jail and there's what's called a, a field booking and probable cause statement. Uh, and at that first appearance, the court reviews that and determines whether they believe, just based on what's in that description, whether there's probable cause. Um, and then the person's entitled to uh, a finding of probable cause by a court at a, at a hearing later on, a preliminary hearing, or, or a finding of uh, probable cause by uh, a grand jury, which is a group of citizens. Um, in January, that will change completely. The landscape will change completely procedurally and substantively. So procedurally, uh, the requirement will be upon detention, um, the state attorney's office will have to file a, a petition for pretrial detention. Um, and the standard increases incredibly um, at that point, where we would have to establish not just probable cause, but that, um, and this is from the, from the, the new statute, that the proof is evident or the presumption great that the accused person has committed a qualifying offense, uh, that the person poses a real and present threat to the safety of a specific identifiable person, and that there are no conditions that can mitigate the real and present threat to the safety of any persons. And I, I will say that at, at, at this point, um, there is an inconsistency in, in the law in terms of that um, proving the, the risk of harm, whether that there's one provision that indicates that we must prove um, that risk of harm to a specific identifiable person, but there's yet another provision that indicates that the court could consider a general risk of harm to the community. And so that inconsistency is, is concerning, you know, just as, as a prosecutor, because, um, you know, my job is not just to try to obtain convictions, uh, although that's important for public safety, uh, if, the, if the evidence uh, is there that we can in good faith um, move forward and prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt, but also to seek justice. And um, a, a provision of this nature that's inconsistent in that way is it's, is concerning uh, and concerning, I think, to the courts as well because they want to have clear guidance about how to implement this as, as, as we do. And that's, that's not just good for prosecutors and judges. It's good for people who are in custody to know what the rules are and what the standard is going to be. Um, so, that again, that's something that I, I trust that um, – the folks at the state house will, will clarify that before this this goes before into January first. Um, we want to talk about the pupil program coming up here uh, very briefly, but what's the cost going to be to the state's attorney's office with that higher burden of proof that you guys are going to have to deal with, uh, and the the shorter amount of time that you are able to to file these motions to keep people uh, behind bars pending trial? What's the cost going to be? Well, you talked a little bit about the about the time frame. This is all within a period of, of 48 hours, and there's uh, a, a massive increase in the amount of information that we are required to obtain from law enforcement and and, and produce to uh, defense counsel before that detention hearing. Um, and so, those are things that currently uh, take longer than 48 hours in some circumstances. Um, you know, law enforcement is doing everything that they can to get us the information uh, that that we need to to make that. Uh, um, that showing, um, but it will it will require uh, an investment of law enforcement agencies as well to add people and and um, um, procedures to make sure we can get that information more quickly to meet the, the standard in that shorter period of time. Um, but in terms of the state's attorney's office, um, I work with some of the most dedicated public servants um, in this state, uh, both staff and attorneys at the state's attorney's office. But there's only so much time in the day. And there's only so much that one person can do. Um, and with this <clears throat> significant increase in duties right at the front end of a case, um, in order to meet the requirements of the law and to seek justice in, in a way that, um, you know, that the community can, can be, can be um, confident in, um, we need more attorneys and more staff. Um, that, that would include um, 
you know, staff to assist with uh, the marshalling of all of this information while attorneys are doing the same things they do now, which is, you know, being in court all the time and, and, and uh, doing other things to, to make sure that cases are, are, are prosecuted uh, in a fair and equitable and, and comprehensive manner. Um, and so we've, we've proactively gone to the county board and provided a detailed explanation of all of the, the new procedures and the substantive changes and how we um, uh, believe that those will translate into the actual operational changes uh, starting January 1st. Now, we've done that, and so, um, I mean, in, in summary, we've asked for the addition of more attorney positions and more staff positions to help us meet the requirements of the Act. Um, there's also uh, a requirement that every every law enforcement agency have uh, implement body cameras on a schedule, you know, from, from 2023 to 2025. That's going to result in extra uh, software costs, extra storage costs, extra manpower for law enforcement agencies and, and, and our office as well. So that's an additional cost that um, is harder to quantify at this point because you don't know what the, the volume will be. But that's going to be something that will have to be addressed, and we're looking into software programs to, to manage that. But as far as the, the personnel costs, um, part of our presentation to the county board was um, calculating both in salary and benefits what these the range of these positions that we, that we are requesting um, could be. And it, it, it will be somewhere. It should be approved. It hasn't been approved yet, but we've... we've um, presented to the county board and, and we'll go back and present again uh, for a vote at some point in the near future. Um, but that will be somewhere between four hundred and five hundred thousand dollars annually, yeah. uh, which is a which is a very significant increase to the personnel costs. Again, we're talking with uh, Sangamon County State's Attorney Dan Wright here on WMAY. Uh, and finally, Dan, uh, just real briefly here, uh, we got to take a break and uh, get ready for Dr. Naomi Wolf coming up here in a moment. But uh, tell me about the uh, the pupil program um, in, in about 30 seconds. Maybe we can have you on to talk more about this in the future, but what is the PUPIL program? Thanks, Greg. Just very briefly, uh, PUPIL is an acronym. It stands for Promoting Unity Through Public Interest Law, and it's an initiative of the state's attorney's office to uh, promote awareness of, of public interest law careers like prosecutors, public defenders, uh, but also, you know, things outside of the criminal uh, law realm um, to promote, uh, you know, diversity and community engagement um, and uh, education of students about uh, about careers in, in public interest law. We're partnering with District 186 to get into classrooms and talk to, to kids and mentor them uh, about potential careers in public interest law. Um, we've done a series of interviews that are on our Facebook page. It's at Sangamon Pupil on, on Facebook, uh, where we've interviewed a, a number of prominent uh, public interest lawyers about how they came to be public interest lawyers to give advice to students uh, about what their work is like and how they too can, can chart a course to, to get involved and be uh, an impact impactful uh, member of that profession in their community. Well, let's definitely talk about that again in the near future. Greatly appreciate you taking the time and unpacking what the Safety Act means for uh, cashless bail moving forward and uh, how your uh, office here locally is going to be impacted by it. Uh, so we'll talk again soon, all right? Thanks, Greg.